0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, let's dive into the Word, shall we? Let's just get into the Word. How many came to hear from the Word of God? Amen? All right, well, let's just dive in. Let's put our uh, our first scripture on the screen. We're, uh, we're excited about Job 2310 this series. He knows the way that I take and We've talked about the fact that How refreshing, how encouraging is it to know that he knows? I mean, that's kind of, in many ways, oftentimes what we are saying when we talk about suffering. And uh, our worship pastor Jordan mentioned, man, just an amazing thought to think that we are not suffering alone. We know that he knows. And that's what's so fascinating. That's why it is an amazing thing to think about the fact that he knows the way that I take. And then Scripture says, when he has tried me. And I think it's significant, especially approaching our text in just a moment in 1 Peter. I think it's significant for us to recognize the fact that he is clearly stating here when he says, when, 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 not if, when he has tried me, clearly stating that trials have a season. They have a season. He says, when he has tried me, I shall come forth or I shall come out as gold. So the normal nature of trials is for a season of time. Are you with me? Sometimes days, sometimes months, or we'll say weeks, months, years. Hey, rarely, but sometimes even decades. Rarely a lifetime, maybe occasionally. But, But most of the time, trials are for a season. Let's go back to a text we studied already about two weeks ago on the screen, Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment. So here we are in a trial for a moment. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but thank God for the next two words. But later. <laughs> Amen? Later. I mean, yeah, there's a season of discipline, but later it begins to yield the peaceable fruits of righteousness. And so again, we, we just want to make sure this morning as we begin the message that all of us understand trials are for a season. So today we're in 1 Peter, chapter number 4. And we're going to give a lesson here today, a message, but a little bit on First Peter before we get started. Uh, very convincingly, there is a theme that we pick up on in First Peter. Now, we're studying the word trials, and that's kind of the, the word we've been using more often than any other word. But we've, one thing we found out is there are other words like uh, chastening, uh, discipline. We see in Scripture the word testing for trials. But in this passage, the word is suffering. And so I want you to see if you notice with me and can pick up on the theme of First Peter. I don't think it's going to be hard, but I want to make sure uh, everybody picks up on it. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved. You're grieved by various trials. First Peter 1.11, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. That's the key word in First Peter that's going to come up again and again and again and again. Look at verse 19, for this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 20, but if when you do good and suffer, if you endure, Uh, verse 21, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return, when he suffered, Verse uh, 14 of chapter 3. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake. You will be blessed. Verse 16. So that when you are slandered. Verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Anybody picking up on the theme yet? Not hard to recognize. Not hard to miss. Since therefore uh, chapter 4 verse 1. Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. for, For whoever has suffered in the flesh is these from sin. Verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Verse 13, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian. Verse 19 of uh, chapter 4, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, so I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, uh, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, The theme is coming out. Does anybody want to tell me what the theme of 1 Peter is? Suffering, Suffering, right. So I don't think anybody's going to question whether or not we are taking this passage out of context. I don't think anybody's going to walk. I cannot believe he got suffering out of that. What's wrong with this guy? Man, he needs to really read the word. I think we're going to be okay. It is evident that the theme of this passage is suffering. So now that we've established that, let's establish something else. That suffering will come. It's part of the Christian life. It's part of the biblical gospel. That suffering will come. We know this from from the word. We are strangers on this earth. In fact, verse 1 of 1 Peter begins with this. We we are exiles. I mean, we are part of another world. This is not our home. We are seeking a city which is to come. And so knowing that, we we are reminded of what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. Yes, yes, and everyone. Now, just again, a little quick test here. You don't have to answer out loud, but who is everyone? Everyone is, is, is everyone. It's all of us. Everyone includes you. It, it includes me. It includes all of us who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We will. And so there's a, a, a very clear warning here. And I think it would be good for all of us to recognize this as truth, that warning is loving. Warning is loving. It, it really is. I'm reminded of a story that I heard uh, in a youth conference when I was a teenager. So some stories do stick with you, right? I, I didn't have to look this up. but just I was, I was studying the text and I thought, man, I remember this story of a, a young man who was uh, driving down the road. Actually, it was a a man driving down the road in his car on a a late night with no lights in a storm, and uh, he was, uh, uh, his his view as he was driving down the road in his car, his headlights came, there was a figure in front of him that was becoming, it was more evident that the man was in the road and he was going wild. He was trying to get the man to stop. He's waving his arms in the road and screaming and yelling uh, frantically and crazily, and so The man driving on a dark road late at night in a storm said, I ain't stopping for this nutcase. And so he tries to go past him, but what he does, the man jumps on his hood and hangs on to the front of his hood. Well, the man all alone on a late night with rain and on a dark road is trying to swerve the car to get the man to get off the the hood and the man is just hanging on for dear life. He's not going anywhere. He looks at his eyes right through his window as he's driving as if almost they were demonic. I mean, it was a scary moment in his life. He's kind of freaking out. The man is freaking out. It's a scary moment. Finally, he just decides in a fit of almost rage at this point, he jumps out of the car. He grabs the man off the hood. He throws him onto the ground violently thinking he's going to have to defend himself. He looks into his face and sees the man begins to weep and he's crying. He says, I'm so glad you stopped. He said, you're the first one to stop. He said, many cars have gone past my warning and fallen into the waters because the bridge is out and people are dying. Thank you for stopping. You see, warning is loving. Warning causes us to brace ourselves. And one thing I think would be really good for us to understand is 1 Peter chapter Number one, two, three, four, and five consistently tells us that suffering will come. Is the reason why God's word says it over and over and over again. Not just in 1 Peter, but all through the word of God. That the number one tool in God's chest for chiseling our character is trials, suffering, persecution, and hardship. And that is so that we will brace ourselves and know this, that suffering will come it will come and so knowing that i want to give you three thoughts from the text knowing this that suffering will come i want to give you three things to help you prepare for it and i think this is going to help all of us in the building by no means is this a a, a message that you should you should approach as an oh no a message about suffering this is kind of discouraging our pastor's telling us that suffering will come actually the word is telling us i'm just Preaching the word and, and sharing this, these thoughts with you. But from the text, I want to encourage you that we can brace ourselves. We've been giving a loving warning. And, and we can know how to prepare for it according to the word of God. First of all, I want you to see this. And you can see this in your notes. Let's just jump in. Number one, guard your behavior. When suffering comes, guard your behavior. And in the moment, you're going to see this. We need to have the mindset of a warrior when, we, when it comes to guarding this. Guarding our actions guarding our behavior. Look at first peter chapter 4 and verse 1 on the screen It says this since therefore christ suffered in the flesh This my friends is an irrefutable fact This is an irrefutable truth that christ suffered in the flesh What did he suffer for? He suffered an atoning death as a sacrifice for our sins He died on that cross out of love. He willingly gave his life. He paid a price for the sins of mankind. He suffered in the flesh. And he says this, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. I love that term. It's a great term. It's a military term. Arm yourselves. It means get ready for battle. In Ephesians, it would have meant, chapter 6, put your armor on. Get ready. Get ready for battle establish that that there's something coming your way and then it says this arm yourselves with the same way of thinking who's thinking well look at look at the beginning of the verse since therefore christ suffered in the flesh so who's thinking arm yourselves with the thinking that christ had when he suffered arm yourselves with the same way of thinking what was christ thinking he knew my my time is not yet come As he was living, as he was alive, as he was suffering along the journey of life. He knew there was coming a time that it would all end. But he wasn't shocked by it. He wasn't surprised by it. He knew how it was going to end up. Nothing was out of control. He knew. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We need to arm ourselves with the same way of thinking that I'm going to get through this. The same mindset, the same focus that Christ had. I'm not surprised by it when the fiery trial comes into my life. I'm not shocked by it. I'm not surprised by it. Notice here this mindset. There's a very serious, uh, uh, clear mindset we are to have. And I think it ought to be in all of our lives somewhat of a watershed moment. And that is this. As we go through the trial, what is God trying to do in my life? What is God teaching me through this? Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? Is it going to be to make me bitter or or make me better? I'm going to choose better. Am am I going to make the choice to to move forward? Or am I going to make the choice to move backwards? Guard your behavior. Have the mindset of a warrior. That you're going to get through this. And that getting through this battle will make me the person that God has made me to be. God has a purpose in this. God has a, a plan in this. And then notice also it says here. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let's read it all together. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now the Greek word here literally means to be restrained from sin. Captures the tense a little bit better. No longer stirred by enticements. Would you not agree that oftentimes going through a difficult season in life, going through a trial at times could produce more of a vulnerable attitude towards sin. And if we're not careful, again, is it going to make me bitter or better? Is it going to uh, allow me to move forward or am I going to go backward? So no doubt a trial could make us more vulnerable to sin or, or if I arm myself with the same way that Christ thought, if I embrace my suffering, I could be given a gracious ability to endure this hardness, and to cease from sin dominating in my life. Not that I would ever sin again. I realize the only one to never sin was Jesus. But I can, in that trial, not necessarily go away from Christ, but I can draw closer to Him and experience an abundant supernatural power and joy that only comes from Christ. And I would have never experienced it had I not gone through the trial. Later on in the passage, we're going to find some of these things that that happen oftentimes in the context of suffering. Things that people turn to and and ways that people cope. And yet we as believers can draw closer to Christ in those moments than we've ever been. So look at verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. I love that. Again, I think it's a reminder that, and the Bible often does this. Oftentimes, the Bible reminds us that life is not going to go on forever in the flesh. That there is a time factor. That life doesn't go on forever. That, that you know, our bodies are decaying. And at the end of the day, we understand this, that, that, that trials are for a season, but they do remind us that life is not going to go on forever and that the outward man is perishing. I mean, I can tell you this, at, as I continue to age... I understand more than ever that my outward man is perishing, right? I mean, life's not going to go on forever. I, I remember when my wife was ill and sick, she even had at some point made a statement that I don't know if I'll make it. This was years ago, prior to a lot of things that God has done and miracles that God has performed. But when she was at her lowest point in life, she said, yeah, I don't know, honey, if I'm going to live. I don't know if I really want to live like this. I mean, she, she didn't know how much longer she had. And the truth of the matter is, all of us may only have a few more years. In reality, even if we live a few decades, it's still a few years. Our outward man is perishing. Life is short. James puts it like this. Life is but a vapor. There's a time factor. Growing up, I used to take my boys. And well, we still do. <laughs> Not growing up. Got to be careful. We have a little, you know, our own little family tradition uh, with the boys and uh, we've, we've always done this once a year. We take trips, and we just visit different NBA stadiums and watch a game and maybe eat at a nice restaurant in the area. I love it. Took Darian with us last time. He's kind of one of my, one of my boys, but he's got a great mom and dad. But I get to kind of borrow them every now and then. So Darian went with us this last year. But when they were really young, you guys, I think, I think Mo was 10 and Joe was maybe 9, and we went to visit the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas. And it was virtually one of the newest stadiums built in in the U.S. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And we couldn't wait to get there. This was back when Steve Nash was the point guard, just to age myself a little bit. This was back when Dirk Nowinski was one of the best players in the NBA. Of course, he ended up being, you know, uh, I think number five in scoring and, you know, an an early ballot hall of famer. And so this was back in the days when those guys were playing for the Dallas Mavericks. We'd get to the stadium and for 10 bucks, you can get a tour. So they're going to give you a tour of the stadium. You know, it's, 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 it's great. And so we're there, and we're looking for stuff to do anyway before the game that night. So we go to the stadium, and, and the boys are with me. And they're, like I said, really, really small. And we're walking through, uh, watching, uh, getting all the facts. How many bricks are in the structure? How big is it? How much it costs? We're getting facts about, you know, we're getting to see Dirk Nowinski's locker room and Steve Nash's locker room and just getting to really check this place out. It was unbelievable. Again, back then, probably the nicest stadium in, in, in America, newly built. So finally, we come towards the end of the tour, and she brought us and explained to us how they made the gondola scoreboard with all of the clocks on it. There was like 10 clocks on the scoreboard. And she began to explain that the best, the, the most important player on the field, on the, uh, on the court, is the point guard. And our point guard is Steve Nash. And Steve Nash needs to know how much time is on the clock because he's the point guard. You need to know how many seconds are left in the 24-second shot clock. And if, if you're at the end of a game and there's only five seconds left, the point guard usually has to know when the buzzer's going to go off. So we make sure we get the game. She's going through all this. And I'm like, wow, this is intense, you know. And she says, so we've got, we, we designed this clock with all of that in mind. And then she'd come to the end of, the, of this little speech about the scoreboard. And she did this every time she talked about something. I just hadn't asked the question until, until now. She said, does anybody have any questions? And I went up. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, yes, sir. I said, how much did it cost? And she said, the scoreboard, the clock? I said, yes. She goes, $10 million. And I, I was stunned. I thought they spent, according to what she emphasized, $10 million for Steve Nash to you know how much time is left in the game. $10 million. so valuable. It's The most valuable thing you and I have. I don't know how much time I have left with my kids or my grandkids or or my church family or my friends, but I know this, that life is short and so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, I must guard my behavior knowing that I must have the mindset of a warrior knowing that time is short. Look at First Peter 4, 2, to live the rest of the time in the flesh. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. It's coming to an end. Knowing that I no longer live for human passions. God, forgive me for the time I wasted living my life for pleasure, spending my life just on pleasure at the top of my agenda. More important than anything else was just when when, when I put myself first. God, forgive me for those moments. What a shallow existence that was. And so the passage ends with this. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And, you know, sometimes I think when we see the statement, the will of God. We somehow make it more complicated than it is. And we begin to ask this question. Well, what is the will of God for my life? I don't know if I'm really supposed to be here. And we get all concerned about, you know, am I in the right place? And we miss that the will of God is the word of God. It's the word of God. I don't know about you. But I have a difficult time doing everything in this book. And I don't really, I'm not too interested in, in, in somebody preaching a sermon on what is the will of God and adding stuff to it. I mean, I'm having in a hard time. Just, just doing what God, being obedient to what I know is the will of God, which is the word of God. And God's will is for you to keep your commitments. God's will, we know, is for you to be a person of integrity. God's will is for us to be a hard worker. God's will is for us to be a person of truth and love. And sincerity. Let's just be obedient to the word of God. And then notice verse 3 of chapter 4. Again, he goes back to this. For the time that is past. He reminds us again of the brevity of life. There it is again. Almost for the second or third time. The time that is past. Remember what he said prior to this verse. No longer for human passions. Right? But for the will of God. I look at my past, and there's some things I I may have thought in the moment that it was really living. Come on now, college days, for some of us, B.C., before Christ, right? Things that we did that we thought, hey, this is really living it up. Man, this is really, this is where it's at. If we could go back and play a recording of our face after that, it wasn't so good. It didn't make us happy. It wasn't lasting. For the time that has passed suffices for what the Gentiles want to do. Does anyone here have a list of what the Gentiles do? No, Paul Peter does. I can give it to you right now. Here, here's what they did. First of all, the first thing on the list is living in sensuality. For the time that past suffices for, the, for what the Gentiles want to do. Studying that word living in sensuality, it means this, no boundaries, no shame, flagrant and unrestrained sexuality. We see that even in the day that we live in. By the way, it's not a Jew-Gentile thing. It's just a save-lost thing. That's what it is. And so we come here to the second thing, passions. Not just sexual, but definitely it does include sexual passions, sleeping with multiple partners, multiple times. But also it includes, you see, back in these days there were feasts, and they would, they would eat, gluttonously eat, just stuff themselves with food and party. And that's why the next word is on the list is drunkenness. In fact, if you go back and read about some of these feast days and what they would do and how they would party, they would eat, or rather drink and vomit, drink and vomit, and then drink some more and vomit. The next word is this, orgies. And then the next word, drinking parties. This is, hey, the past suffices. For what the Gentiles wanted to do. And then it sums it all up, a summary term, and lawless idolatry. All of this they did while worshiping false gods. And it seems to be that the Western world, the North American God is, is who? Is what? Itself. It's you, it's me. And, and sometimes I wonder if we recognize the fact that that, that there is a, a, a attitude that a believer should have to guard our behavior against those things. Guard our behavior, have a mindset of a warrior because sin overpromises and underdelivers every time. Every time. Look at verse 4. With respect to this, with respect to the suffering of this world, and by the way, it rains on the just and on the unjust. We, we are all going through difficult seasons. Everybody is probably it's to some level having a hard time. With respect to the suffering, they are surprised when you do not join them. In the same flood of debauchery. They're kind of shocked. You know, what's wrong with you, man? Come on. I mean, hey, this is a flood of wickedness. This, and, and we see it in our nation, just a flood of rebellion and wickedness, like a river to hell. Hey, come on and join us. Jump in the raft. We're headed to hell. It's a great time. We hear music about this. What's wrong with you guys? And then they malign us, notice in the passage. They malign you. This is The word means they blaspheme you. Oh, you holy roller. Recently, I've been I've been called a a Bible thumper. A holy roller, a Jesus freak. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Oh, listen. Guard your behavior. Guard your behavior. It's so clearly taught here. Listen, all that glitters is not gold. Be very careful here as you live your life in this world, especially when you're going through suffering in the context of suffering. You've got to have a mindset of a warrior. Because I'm going to tell you the devil has a play. It says later on, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In the context of suffering, he knows that we're more vulnerable to being devoured by Satan. He wants to weaken us. But it is an opportunity to embrace the cross, to embrace the suffering, to say God has a plan in all of this. And then notice verse four, or rather five and six, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the, the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. And it's an interesting passage there. And just to actually, I, I, I had one of our staff guys just help me break this down just a little bit. We were looking at it together, had fun. The first thing I want you to notice is the, is the tense here. Notice it was preached. Past tense, it was already preached even to those who are dead. So it was preached to them when they were alive, when they were alive, but they are dead now. Most likely those who had been martyred for the faith. These were those who stepped up and, and realized that, hey, listen, my faith, is it real? Is it real? Notice the next statement. It says here that though judged in the flesh, how were they judged in the flesh? Deny Jesus or die. Deny Jesus or die. Do you really believe what you say you believe? If you do, we're going to kill you. And they really did believe it. They believed what they preached. And so they, they died. They were judged in the flesh the way people are. That they might live in the spirit the way God does. Because when it's all said and done, what matters most? The human verdict or what God says? Listen, I am who he says I am. I am a blood-bought child of God. I know my future. I know what God has in store for me. I know he walks with me every step of the way. I know everything that happens to me is allowed by him. He's, he, he is my savior. He is my God. He is my protector. He is my future. He is my hope. And I rest in that. And so though I may be judged in the flesh, I'm more concerned about his judgment, his opinion. We ought to obey God rather than man. And so we see here in the text, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Guard your behavior. Have the mindset of a warrior. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking that Jesus had. Trials come into your life. Suffering will come. Arm yourselves. Number two. Notice in 1 Peter 4, 7, there is a transition verse here. All of a sudden, he says, the end of all things is at hand. Again, for the third time, he mentions time. Isn't it interesting how often Scripture talks about the brevity of life? Again, the end of all things. Remember now, the end of all things is at hand. Oftentimes, when you know the end is coming, what are you? You're more concerned about self-control than sober-mindedness. Like, I don't know how much time I have left. I mean, the older you get, the more, you know, you... You, you look at those little grandkids scurrying around the, the living room, and you think, Whew, man, I don't even know if I get to see him grow up. You know, I hope I get to see MJ and Laney and, and, and Kimber Joe and Jules and <clears throat> KJ and Bentley. It would be great to see him grow I I just don't know. So I'm, I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I'm more serious about life than I've ever been. I really am. I'm more sober-minded. I'm more self-controlled about these things because I know the, the end is coming. The end is at hand. And do this all for the sake of your prayers. Now, let me just interject something that, so all of us can maybe take a little deep breath. I like to laugh. Is everybody okay with laughing? I mean, I could preach a whole sermon on, we need to laugh more. <laughs> we need to have more joy. I, I get that too. And I, I emphasize that oftentimes. Now, Mary heart does good like a medicine. I mean, we need to laugh. We need to have a good time. And, and I like to have fun. But this morning I'm suggesting more seriousness. I'm suggesting sometimes that, that we, we tend in times of trial to not face the seriousness of the moment. And we sort of become cynical and we feel as if we can't be real and transparent that, that this is a life or death situation. This is heaven or hell. That This could even be a light and darkness for, for someone's future. And so we need to be serious about these things. For the sake of our prayers, how many of you have ever prayed and just opened up with, good morning, God, let me tell you my latest joke. In fact, some of the jokes we tell, we probably wouldn't ever want God to hear, but of course, he's there to hear them, so we need to be careful about what we joke about. But for the sake of your prayers, let's be serious. Let's be sober-minded. Let's be self-controlled. Notice this, he then says in four uh, verse 8 of chapter 4, and above all. I have that. There's more to the verse than that, but I want you to know before you look ahead. Just take a moment. Just look on the screen before you look ahead. This is a great time. Don't do it. But this is a. Great, if I was at a youth meeting and I said, "Don't do it," they would do it anyway. <laughs> but don't do it. This is a great time for a drum roll. I mean, think about it. Above all, I mean, listen. When I see the words "above all," I'm like, "Okay, this is big." Th- this means I've already told you some things, and these are some things you need to do. But above everything, at whatever you do. Whatever you do in the midst of trials, do this. Whatever you do. A lot of stuff I need you to do, he says. But this is the main thing. Love one another earnestly. That's more important than anything. I'll just pick somebody out in the audience here. I'll pick Don out. Come here, Don. Don, I see Don on a Sunday morning. Now, now, here's here's what the tendency to do is just, you know, hey. I got to be happy, right? Don's got to be happy. I got to have it all together. Don's got to have it all together. I mean, I I you know, I mean, we're here, you know, everybody's looking at us. I mean, you know, we're I'm good, you good? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Not really, but but here's how it ought to be. Let me ask you a transparent question just just from A to Z. Anything in your life right now, you'd say, man, I got, I, I'm having a hard time. I got some burdens mm-hmm. somewhere in my life. Yeah. Okay, so I know that. I mean, you know that about me. But, but here's what it means to love one another. First of all, I thought about that word earnestly, Don. It's an interesting word. When I say the word earnestly, I don't feel like I'm doing it justice by just saying earnestly. I feel like I've got to say, love one another earnestly. Like, I mean, because the Bible says that oftentimes love one another, but not here. Here it says, love one another earnestly. It's like Instead of, what's up, Don? Good to see you, man. Hey, God bless you, bro. See you around. It's like, Don, amen. Bring it in. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Oh. That was my Extended hug from an Italian preacher. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. so we overdid it. Yeah. We it. always exaggerate to make a point. I enjoyed you it. You enjoyed that <laughs> hug. Good. Uh, I did too. Not too much, right? Okay, good, good. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. And this had to be the online service. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh. So I hugged Don earnestly. Now, now let me get serious for just a moment. So here's my point. It's 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 like I care about you. Hey, hey Don. Absolutely. I love you, man. I just want you to know that mm-hmm. you mean the world to me. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being my friend. I, I, I'm going to pray for you about something. Yeah. Whatever it is, you need me to pray about. Uh-huh. Okay, you know that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Love you, man. Love you too, man. Thank you. So there's something serious. Thank you, Don. There's something about loving one another earnestly. And and, and I and I fear that sometimes. We're just sort of, especially in the, in the house of God, in the church of God, in the fellowship of saints, we tend sometimes to be a little plastic when it comes to this thing called loving one another earnestly because we're all going through a tough time. We are. I had a preacher in my, I had a pastor one time that used to say, he had a radio broadcast, and he said, be good to everybody because everybody's having a tough time. I never forgot that. Everybody is having, at some point, a tough time. And so as we love one another earnestly, notice why we do it. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Love covers. Now, now we've got to be careful here because there's a bit of danger here in this. Not just culturally, but culturally. I get it. I mean, we, we're, this is the culture we live in. We understand that there's been a lot of sin that's been covered. And, and the Bible doesn't talk about here covering sin. It just says love covers but not hides sin. There's a bit of a danger here. 1 Corinthians 13, 6 says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. And I get that, and you get that. And we should get that. This is not speaking about hiding sin or that you put yourself at risk. Listen to me. If it's illegal, skip love covers and call the police. Now, that was for somebody here this morning. I don't know who it was. But I don't want you to get for one moment that we're talking about Hiding sin, covering sin, not exposing something that is illegal. But let me say this. I think sometimes when we come to a situation where somebody has has wronged us or, or is doing wrong, or even, let me, just, let me just relate this to raising a child. Chloe gets disciplined for something that she's done and, and she's sinned. She's, she's made a mistake. I don't necessarily want all of your siblings to know it. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to deal with it. We're going to work through it. But I I, I love you. I I don't want to parade your sin in front of the whole church. I think this is important to hear from because sometimes I'm in uncomfortable conversations where we're talking about each other's spouses in a way that is just not appropriate. We should love one another enough To to not want to parade each other's sins in conversations that really are more hurtful and lead to gossip. and Now, there's something about confiding in someone for prayer or for counsel. But I think you know what I'm saying. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers. Love love doesn't want to trash people. Love, Love doesn't want to destroy someone's life because they've made a mistake. So we see here, grace your relationships. Why? Because I want to love one another earnestly. Look at these next verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, 10, and 11. Show hospitality to one another. Isn't that good? He said, well, I don't like having people over. Well, guess what? The next two words are for you, without grumbling. Okay? So, just in case you're like, oh, no, here he goes, hospitality. I'm just not that kind of a person. Well, try it. Try it. Have the, I'll tell you what, the best way to do it, the first time you do it, have people over you don't like. It'll really it, then you'll have to be show hospitality, right? Nobody laughed at that. Okay, so uh, we see we just have the same people over all the time, right? Well, let's try something new. Let's let's, let's have a let's have a party. Let, let's get together. You know, I had somebody tell me this week, and again, it's not rampant like this, but somebody told me heartfelt told me, you know, I've been in the church for four years and I've never been invited over to someone's house. And I thought, now again, don't get me wrong, I get it, I get it. There may be a uh, you know, uh, he he was friendly. Michonne said friendly. I know there's all kinds of things we could say to that, but at the same time, I didn't take it that way. I looked inward and said, that includes me. I invited him over there, and you know, I think in, in the New Testament church, we see a lot of breaking bread together. We see a lot of homes opening to hospitality in the church family, building one another up. I think it'd be great for every church family to have one day in the month that you invite two, three, four families over. I had some time with Ken Carney yesterday, and. And, and I was at his house, pastor of the Nazarene Church in town. And he was showing, he's got a beautiful home. And he was showing me his house. And he said, uh, yeah, we had 30 people over here last night. I said, what did you do? He said, well, we, we just had a, a, a big dinner and invited all, a bunch of new people over. And just, we just had a time. And I thought, that is awesome, Ken. And I knew what I was going to be talking about this morning. And I think God put that moment in my life just to remind myself that we need to show hospitality, especially during trials. Especially. As each has received a gift You know, it's interesting. Every follower of Jesus Christ has been given a gift. And that gift is the Spirit's enablement for you to serve one another. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from the Spirit. He's given it to you to serve one another. Some of the gifts I'm just listed on the screen. And there's many more. Serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, mercy, hospitality. You can probably identify with one of those that is your gift. It's just a gift that the Spirit has given you. And there's many more. There's a list of seven. There's a list of 11. I tend to more fall into it. Scott, now you know I've talked about this. I think we have at least. I I tend to fall into the fact that there's many more than that. You can have an athletic gift. You can have a musical gift. And whatever gift you're given, it doesn't necessarily have to be identified as a very specific uh, word. But if you have a gift, then you've been given that gift to to serve others. And I'm going to say it again, especially during trials, especially during a difficult time. Then notice the next verse, verse 11, whoever speaks in trials. In trials, whoever speaks. Anybody ever experienced going through a trial and you see somebody coming down the parking lot and you're like, I got to get out of here because they're going to talk to me for 30 minutes about the latest essential oil that's going to solve this problem. (laughs) I mean, here they come. It's going to be a 30-minute conversation about juice plus. Yeah, okay. I love juice plus. I'm into it. But hey, if I'm having a problem, Leave me alone on the Juice Plus, okay? <laughs> Sometimes the last thing somebody needs when they're going through a tough time is a 30-minute rambling of your thoughts. What they need is somebody who speaks the oracles of God. Listen, you will ne- it never hurts using Scripture. It never hurts. Scripture is always a good thing. You will never go wrong sharing Scripture. Yesterday, we had Jeremy and I. Jeremy, uh, where are you at, Jeremy? Here you are. Go. We got a text together yesterday, didn't we? Remember? I won't tell you who the text was from, but somebody here in the church gave Jeremy and I a text. They were just going through a hard time, and, and they were really struggling. And so I read the text, and Jeremy responded first. I want to read it to you. This is the oracles of God. Now, can I tell you one more interesting thing? You're not going to believe this, but it's true. Yesterday, I was in my office. This is, this is exactly what happened. I get the goose pimples or whatever, the God pimples thinking about that. I was, I was studying that passage. Whoever speaks, speaks speak the oracles of God. I was, and when that happened, I got the text message and Jeremy's response while I was studying this passage. Here's his response. I'm so sorry the heaviness is weighing so much on you right now. This is Jeremy. Please know that we love you and have not stopped praying for you. And with what you're sharing here, we will remain steadfast in praying for you through this. Faith is definitely what keeps us strong in the midst of suffering. As you mentioned, you're beginning to sense weakness in your faith. And I understand, brother. It's tough, but allow me, allow us to encourage you in this. The word of God is the actual source for faith. Last week's sermon on suffering came straight from the word of God. And your testimony of how it strengthened you and helped you was awesome. Faith strengthens us when we're weak for sure. At every low point in my life and weaknesses, I am learning just how much I need God's word to strengthen, uh, rather God's word speaking into my suffering to strengthen me. May I kindly encourage you to hang on in hope and anchor yourself to a truth in scripture. Here's one to start with. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Love you, brother. And then I responded. I agree with Jeremy. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And then, I, and then I, 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 I called the brother and, 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 and prayed, prayed, prayed on the phone. Actually, he told me this morning, he's listened to that prayer four times. So my, my gift was prayer. Your gift was, was the word. And, and, Jeremy, it was just awesome. Here's my point. That's the oracles of God. That's the oracles of God. Sometimes that's all people need. They, they don't need a long speech. They don't need a sermon. They don't need your opinion. They just need scripture. Scripture. Just tell him what you learned, maybe even that morning, in the word of God. And then it goes on to say this, whoever serves, as one who serves, I love this, by the strength that God supplies. If you serve in your own strength, it's, it's not going to be effective. It, it could lead to an ego. It could lead to, ah, you know, I hope he notices this, I hope I get a text back, I hope he thinks I'm great. But if you serve in the strength that God supplies, before you serve, you're asking yourself this question, am I right with God? Have I done business with God? Have I had my devotions this morning? Am I right with God before I serve? It's very important as we serve up here, as the worship team serves, as the preacher serves, as Jeremy gives that scriptural application for the offering. As Scott and Christy come in a moment to share some things about one day. All of us. As we share, we need to be right with God as we use the gift that we have in order that in everything, I love this, and I'm almost a God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why? Because to Him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's why. Why do we do all this? Why why are we talking about trials? Why are we expressing the the importance of guarding your behavior and having the mindset of a warrior and gracing your relationships that you might love one another earnestly? Here's why. And number three, my last thought, so we can glorify God. Our lives are to shout the existence of God. The truth of the matter is, is the Westminster Confession says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is the purpose for our being here because the mountains don't do a good enough job. The rocks don't do it, do it justice. And so God, his, his chief creation, man and woman, this is what we were made for. To shout the existence and glory of God. Listen, we can't see God. We'd burn up if we saw God right now. But his glory can be revealed. His manifest presence in this place can be revealed. As we look at someone going through trials and say, I can't believe. Look at how they're going through that trial. It's incredible. I wonder what it is that's helping him to do that. I wonder what it is that's strengthening them to get through the loss of a family member. It's amazing. I'll tell you what it is. It's God's glory. It's God's power. It's God's strength. And when we do that, we bring glory to God. And that's what God wants us to do with our lives. And if you take that into the last part of the text, which is all about God's glory, and we'll close. Look here. We're here to manifest the presence of God. 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There it is, glory. How can I glorify God in my trials? Number one, rejoice. 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 Count it all joy. And I can only do that in the strength of God. I can only do that when God is strengthening me, when I'm depending on him, when I'm leaning on him. That's the only time I can do it. I can't do it my own strength, but his strength can be made perfect when I admit my weakness. And I can rejoice in suffering. And so when the trial comes, turn up the volume of rejoicing. Sing louder. Raise your hands higher. When when the struggle is is, is hard and and when, when the suffering is pressing in, turn up the volume and praise him even more that's what we're going to do one day when we see him face to face amen when his glory is revealed it's gonna be amazing and then it goes on to say if you're insulted for the name of christ you're blessed and here it is here it is again the glory of god because the spirit of glory and of god rest upon you but let none of you suffer as a murderer well you know it's been really tough on me lately i've just gone through so many trials and suffering i mean i I killed somebody, it's just been, it's been awful. No, you're not going through a trial, you're a murderer. <laughs> well, it's been so hard, I just, you know, I just, I'm just suffering, I robbed a bank, but it's just so difficult, you know. No, it's not a trial, you're a thief. You're an evildoer. What about the last one? You're a meddler. <laughs> I wonder how that one made the list, you know. I, th- I think what scripture is teaching here is if those things are the source of your problem, you're not going through a trial. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, because I love God, because I won't give up, because I won't lower the standard, because I won't stop talking about him, if I suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Number two, second way to glorify God in your trials, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God into salvation. And we're going to suffer. We know it's going to come. And we've braced ourselves for that suffering. And may we come to the place where we cannot be ashamed to wear our scars. Proudly in Jesus' name. For it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Verse 17. And if it begins with us, the third way we can glorify God is to self-examine. Is to self-examine. You know, we've talked about that a lot this series. We really have. We've talked about the fact that oftentimes one of our excuses is we point the blame at someone else. And we, we, it's somebody else's fault. And we, we just want to shift the blame. And at the end of the day, what we need to do is just self-examine. Judgment begins at the house of God. It begins with us. What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner. By the way, that, that statement, if the righteous are scarcely saved, what does that mean? I believe God is teaching us here that it is by the grace of God that we're not falling into the pits of hell right now. It's by God's grace the sun even came up in the morning. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. I mean, It's, it's, it's none of us. It's not of our works. It's, it's all of grace. Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Number four, and finally, entrust yourself to God. And look at this. I love this. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's something about that verse that is so beautiful. Entrusting your soul, and I love that, to a faithful creator. Is he faithful or what? He's never let us down. Amen. Through the deepest, darkest trials. And next week, we're going to go even further into this subject. And and I'm really praying about having a couple of testimonies in the service. Because here's what I want you to know. God is faithful. God is faithful to see us through when we entrust our souls to a faithful creator. Guess what? In the trial, here's what that means. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop going to church. So many today, when you knock on their doors and invite them to church and and they say, I don't go to church. Why? Well, this happened or that happened and this struggle or that struggle. and, and, And I just I'm just I just haven't been back since. But when you entrust your soul to a faithful creator. You don't quit small group. You don't stop tithing. Listen, stay in the word. Keep doing good. He is faithful. He will finish the work that he started in you. He has a purpose. He has a plan in the trial, in the suffering, in the hardship. You can trust him. You can trust him that the darkness will become light. And in closing, I'd like to challenge all of our family, our church family and guests, to make these last four things. Could you put those back up there? To make these four things a prayer list as we close. Just use those four things as a way to say, God, I want to glorify you in my trial. And go to that text in First Peter and read it again, and see these thoughts inside the text that we should rejoice. God, help me to rejoice in my suffering. I, I can't do it without your help, without your strength, Father. Help me to not be ashamed, God. I know I'm going to be maligned. I know that people are going to wonder why. Why am I not drinking and partying and 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 you know using other methods to to dull the pain why am i trusting you they don't understand father help me in those moments not to stop living for you and being a testimony for you even at the workplace when sometimes it's toughest and then father give me lord a special wisdom and insight to see where i need to change what i can do to be a better husband a better wife in this trial help me not to point my fingers at anyone else, but to look within my own self and identify what it is I need to change. And Father, finally, may I entrust myself to you completely. Every part of me is yours, God. I submit, I surrender, I entrust my soul to you, Father, even if it means death. God, even if it means martyrdom. Lord, I trust that I will not deny your name because I just love you and believe so much in your word and what you've told me my future is. That if it means my life is cut short, and I face my faithful creator today. I'm good with that. That's a strong prayer. But it's a great way to start praying through our sufferings and using the text and the biblical text to help us through these trials. Let's bow our heads, shall we? In just a moment, we're going to sing. And I'm going to ask each one of you that have need of prayer to feel like you can come and pray. Jeremy will be with me up front. If you need someone to pray with you today. Jeremy and I will be here to pray. And also, if you just need to come for salvation, maybe you've never truly trusted your soul to a faithful creator for salvation. That's kind of the first decision. That's, that's where it begins. That's where it began yesterday for two of our young people. They entrusted their soul to a faithful creator. They were saved. And now begins the journey. And so I pray that as we pray for our students, that you would remember to pray for them. As they begin their journey. And if you need to begin your journey of faith today in Christ. I know Jeremy and I and many others here. Even after the service would love to take a moment. And walk through the gospel with you. If you'd like to be saved. Father I thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity to share your word God. I'm so blessed to have a church family. And a church home. For 30 years. God this has been my family. And I love them. We've been through a lot. And God, I just know we've still got quite a bit to go through together. So, Father, help us to just to trust our souls to you, to be faithful, because you've been so faithful. Father, I pray that we would also, as we sing and worship, that we would just bathe in this fact that we're not alone in our suffering. That you're with us. That you're not hard to find. That you're a very present help. Oh, God, may we experience your presence And God, may your glory be revealed in us and through us as we leave this place in just a few moments to live out our Christian lives in the workplace, in Walmarts, on the streets, in our homes. Until we return next Sunday for more gathering around your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together, shall we?